We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. Don't miss the Xfinity Beyond Black Friday event. Get $100 back on a package that's right for you. That's a gift. You'll unwrap amazing speed and Wi-Fi coverage from America's best internet provider. Plus, the Emmy Award-winning X1 voice remote with Xfinity X1. The easiest all-in-one entertainment experience. A gift in a gift in a gift. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. The Xfinity Beyond Black Friday event ends December 10th. So click, call, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. New X1 Double Play and Triple Play customers only. Minimum one to two-year term contract required. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 157, and this opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined today by Alex Truica. Alex, you were at the match on Tuesday. Does the TV do it justice? Hi, Dan. Thanks for having me on your pod again. I'm glad to be your guest again. Um, well, I think it does. To answer your question, I think uh, the overall perception has been that Barca got really lucky with the the goal is draw in Dortmund because they have been the, the inferior side and even from, from the stadium, uh, it was the same, yeah, the same feeling. Thanks to testing, they salvaged the point, but without him, they would have lost and deservedly so, in my opinion. Well, I, I would say, what's that, I guess the question is, what's that atmosphere? So we, we, we saw there was uh, circulating that confetti, the yellow confetti that was perfectly orchestrated. I mean, what just is that feeling in that stadium there? It is something special, I have to say. I mean, everybody knows the, the famous yellow wall mm-hmm. um, where I think 25,000 people usually stand. Like they are not even seated, but they stand in, in regular Bundesliga games. Now in international games, uh, Champions League, for example, they are not allowed because you're not allowed to stand in these games. So they, they are seated, the people. But still, that wall is something you can sense, you can feel even and even on television, you can see. And then they, they are obviously also doing these great um, uh, pyrotechnic stuff or like or like these typhos or stuff like that. So it's really something special, especially 
when the teams just enter the pitch, there's like when they sing their the anthems and all cheer the players' names. It's really like it gives you goosebumps. Uh, I have to say, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was what I said it to you, but uh, as an English speaker who's who's dabbled in German, I, I find that the the chorus of a, of a German song to start. Now, obviously, we always know with Liverpool, "You'll Never Walk Alone." That's one of the English ones that comes to mind. But it seems like all the German anthems there there is something to be said about fifty or sixty thousand Germans. Just the way the language has a power to it uh, that that I think really does create an atmosphere. Uh, this is again just from an, uh, a native English speaker, uh, but certainly. Uh, has that effect um and as much as yellow might not be a a, a strong and, and terrifying color again in unison that yellow and black uh um it does make for a beautiful sight I, I would say just looking at the pictures and things like that but some other things that we're going to talk about today other than just your experiences at the match and what you saw physically there uh including Luis Suarez we'll talk about uh Alba getting injured and some of those things but where we have to start today Alex is with Ansu Fadi the 16 year old uh you ready to go yeah sure Hit me. All right. So we, so we are doing La Ronda today. Uh, more questions from our closed Facebook group, uh, which you just you can tap in to the closed Facebook group. That's where we get all these questions from. Uh, then we have one or two others as well today. But this is where they come from. And we start with the Ansu Fati talk. It, it is basically serving, uh, for those familiar with our regular programming, La Ronda is a listener of questions, but sometimes we do a La Grande Pagunta. So for all intents and purposes today, our La Grande Pagunta is about Ansu Fati and it's these questions from Christopher and Cole. Where is the best place or where is, what is the best squad for Ansu Fati to spend the 2019-20 season in? And Christopher's question, very related to that, what is the best path to develop Fadi without making him the next Boyan? And what effect with this, as well as Carlos Perez's emergence, have on Dembele when he returns? So let's actually table the Perez and Dembele part of that and just talk about Ansu Fadi and focus on him for a minute. Uh, Alex, I guess I'll ask you bluntly, should I say where is the best place for him this season? For you, or where do you think he'll wind up? Because I think those might even be two different answers for you. Well, first of all, I have to say that was uh, I, I was a bit surprised that he that he started against Dortmund. I think a lot of people because yeah. yeah, because it was a huge occasion, and like against such a great opponent in such a terrifying stadium and such a terrifying ground to start as a 16-year-old with like three uh, games, professional games to his belt was something special, something surprising. I expected Carles Perez to to start because he's a little bit more experienced, even like five years older, and just has more yeah more regular games to his belt. But yeah, I very trusted him. Um, he did okay, Fatih, but you could still see. And this sounds harsh, but I mean it's the truth. If you face it, it he was a kid playing amongst uh, amongst senior players. I think it's fair to say that. So maybe the game came a little bit early. I don't think it will have much of an impact on him as a player in terms of his mindset or in terms of his confidence. But I think for Barca, maybe in retrospect, it would have been better to, to start Paris there, even though, yeah, Barca got away with a draw in the end. Yeah, I, I don't, and again, this is me watching on, on TV, but I want to push back a little bit. I don't think he looked completely out of his depth, though. I think that the performance that he gave was one that someone like Perez could have given that same performance, right? Um, I just think that there was he is 16, and so the things he does, yeah. we can we we kind of can write off that he is a teenager when he does those things. But in the same regard, 
I think that you put a lot of different players that Barca had over the seasons in those positions. And it, I mean, so I even go back a few years now. He is riddled in uh, some terrible news here. So I hate even having to bring up an, uh, an uh, Arda Turan. But I think about a performance that Arda Turan had that was that was at a third or half as good as even what Fadi did, right? So I, I, to me, he didn't look... I tried to forget that he was 16 in that performance. And I would say it just, it wasn't a... I thought it was on par with a lot of what we saw from from Barca yesterday in terms of again we're going to talk about Suarez later but if if you if you were to ask me did Ansu Fati have the better match or did Suarez have the better match I I'm not sure that you could go with the experienced world class striker you might have to say that well they were both largely ineffective but does that make sense I mean uh, which, yeah. uh, no it it makes yeah, sense I mean, totally. Regarding that, I think where we go from here is now that Dembele will come back because just today um, he trained with the team again. So it looks good that he will be back maybe maybe even this weekend or maybe the, the week afterwards. And I think then when Dembele is back in the squad, we will see less and less of Fatih naturally because right now Fatih is the only speedy winger um, the squad has. So that's why he obviously was chosen to to play in the last couple of games because Barca and therefore Valverde just lacked this tool to have, right? A, a player who can run uh, against opponents, who can take them on, who plays with bravery, with guts, with yeah, with confidence. I think Fati is all that, but also he's literally a, a kid. Mm-hmm. So from now on, I think we will see less of him as long as Dembele stay fits, which is probably even for him the best because um, he is only 16 years old, right? He has to get regular playing time at the at the youth level, be it in the in the third division team at Barca Bay or even at the Victor Valdez side, right? The juvenile A, where he usually should play. Mm-hmm. So I think. He should, he will figure more there than at Barca's uh, senior squad. Yeah, I mean the point to him being involved in the first team even is it's just what you said there that that we saw even not even but we saw in particular against Valencia, Barca their first team was crying out for a player that could get to the goal line that could get yeah. all the way and take players on one on one and you're right they just didn't have somebody that profiled in that way. Uh, the way that body does, even his again, regardless of his age, um, and then you also bring up. You're right. There, there are then three places where he could really be effective here, and I, I think that there's not necessarily a right or perfect answer to where he goes or where what's best for his development because what's best for a player's development winds up being in hindsight. I always think of the great American cautionary tale about Freddie Adu, who makes his uh, his professional debut for DC United at 14, and and obviously now he's been for I think he's he's played for 12 or 15 or something clubs, and he's been in the, the Finnish fourth division, and he's been in Turkey, and he's been all over the place because uh, it just it just never worked out. And for Barca and Kules, uh Boyan winds up being that name that, that's always spoken about. But the thing I will also again push back a little bit there is that. What seems to be assured to me about Fadi is he's well aware of his position. And I even noticed when uh, he was switched from the right wing, which wasn't really working, and he swapped back with Antoine Griezmann to be on the left where he was more comfortable. Uh, he he found the game a lot better in the latter half of that first half when that change was made by, by Ernesto Valverde. And for Fadi, uh, the way that Boyan had to 
impact games and make and have and have a role where uh, I think for Boyan without scoring it was seen as a failure because again Boyan was playing a little more centrally and the pressure on him was a little bit different uh, in, in the middle of the park uh, and maybe his body was a little underdeveloped for what he was being asked to do but for Fadi it's a lot of one-on-one matchups on the wing just letting him find the game and it's clear that whether or not he's scoring from his position is a little bit more of a bonus so it really is just whether or not he can be effective uh, on the wing, so I, I I try to I come down on the fact that if the first team needs him, will he play, or is it best for his development all around to just train with the first team, which he will. Obviously, he'll be training with the first team now. I, I think pretty much across the board. But the thing I think the club is also understanding, as you mentioned, when Dembele does come back, and Perez I think is now a first team member. We can we can be confident with that. But with Fadi this week, news reporting that he'll probably get a Spanish citizenship and then he'll be gone for a month to play at the U-17 World Cup. He was also named to the UEFA Youth League roster, and that's a big point as well that I think Barcelona yeah. sees him returning there. And so I think, is he going to be a part of the first team? Only if the first team needs him, right? Yeah, I, I, think, I think so, yeah. I think that's what it is. But I think it's yeah. not a bad thing. I also want to just remind people that it's not a bad thing that he's probably going to be playing for Barcelona B and Francisco Pimienta uh, all season long. And that might be best for Barcelona B because they just haven't, uh, they just seem to be adding, uh, missing that attacking punch again for the second or third year in a row that they just don't have that attacking force they need. And then the Juvenil Oz as well. I want to remind people that this Juvenil Oz squad is that side that would have Pablo Moreno uh, and a bunch of other talents, you know, for the big La Masia talents and Exodus that we always talk about that that current Juvenil A squad is that team that lost all those big talents. So Ansu Fadi and Iash Mariba, who we talked about, Iash Mariba might be the age of a Juvenil Bay, but he's going to be playing with Juvenil A all season and and sometimes as he already made his Barcelona B debut. So uh, for Mariba and even Fati, uh, where they wind up at any point in any weekend isn't necessarily a bad thing that it might be a different place, if that makes any sense, where they could play for Juvenil A one weekend and then play for Barca B the next and then potentially be on the bench for the first team, uh, not Moriba being Fati. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. I, I think just bouncing around and having him used and utilized by the teams that need him, uh, I think these are just challenges. It's just, it's just changing what he's seeing. It's changing the competition. Uh, and clearly, I think he has not looked completely overmatched at the first team level. So as much as they need him is fine. But other than that, everything else is, uh, I think, is icing on the cake. I don't think it stunts his development as a 16-year-old to play at Barcelona B or the Juvenil uh, at all. I don't think it stunts his development. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And also, the um, since you're the the guy who asked the question, Christopher, I think it was, um, uh, talked about the comparison with Boyan. Um, I think that's a bit, well, maybe not the best comparison because we should not forget that Boyan um, had and even admitted to having uh, mental issues. Right. So you could not, you should not uh, take this as a comparison to every other young player who who suddenly uh, becomes becomes the next big thing and then you yeah you talk about him yeah but what about the Boyan comparison because not everybody has these issues um, so they played a huge part then obviously his career path played a huge part you could also say in in hindsight that it wasn't maybe not the best decision to co- go to Stoke City um, because for a technical player like Boyan maybe in the in playing in such a team in the Premier League has not been the best yeah, the best decision, uh, decision career-wise. So yeah, the comparisons are maybe a bit flawed. 
to say the least. So yeah, so yeah. much for that. Yeah, you kind of walked me right into uh, a great plug here. I want to plug uh, the YouTube channel that was done put out yesterday, where I basically compared Ansu Fadi to some of the other contemporaries he has uh, as a teenage winger. And for the guys that have already made an impact or uh, basically are on the peripheral of their first team as well, a lot of them were 19 years old. I mean, and that's how rare it is that 16, the six is the really important number here, uh, that you might even see some 17-year-olds and 18-year-olds making an impact at certain clubs. Again, you got to watch the YouTube video to, to see the names I give you. But you'll notice that even at Callum Hudson-Odoi, this was the interesting thing as I'm doing the research, he did have that Achilles injury for Chelsea that, that did limit his time. He probably would have had more time in the Premier League with Chelsea last year. Uh, but he is yet to make a Champions League appearance even. Right, he he was good, and that's because Chelsea weren't in the Champions League; they were in the Europa League. Um, but I wonder if he would have even made a Champions League appearance uh, last year if he had featured in. But now he's 19, coming back from this injury, and he's made less appearances, scored less goals, and collected less assists than you think. Right? It's these big, big names that we know about for years and years and years. So Fati might have been a name that we started to hear about this year. It just how happens that he was good enough to now feature for the first team. So now we know about him, and we put him in this class with these 17, 18, and 19-year-olds, but he still is only 16. So that is really, the really, I think to me, that's the most important number there that we're talking about. That, again, if he was 19, it would be a different conversation. Uh, but yeah, it's, just, it's incredible that he is just 16 years old. I think that's, I, I can't, I know I'm repeating and being re repetitive with that, but I think that's just a, a point I want to hammer home that, physically and as a footballer he is 16 as you've mentioned as well mentally the difference between a 16 year old and a 19 year old it can be leaps and bounds but it also might not be if that makes any sense right the pressure on a 19 there might be a 19 year old who feels the pressure and the heat and and is uh has a much more difficult time than potentially this 16 year old it could be the same thing for a 22 year old right any young player yeah. basically from the ages of 16 to 23 or 24 when you really when you really are a, a full professional and a fully formed professional uh, adult in that way and you've had enough hardships in your career being like 23 24 that you've had to develop and you you almost have become the player you're going to be but basically in that whole window that six seven eight year window you know i, I think every player is different and develops differently uh, mentally physically technically uh, all those things so i think F fati what makes him so surprising is he just he does look like he's 18 or 19 not 16 yeah so true true it just it does change the scope a little bit but i you would you like to move on alex yeah let's let's move on so we sure. are going to move on to more negative news you had to see in person <laughs> uh as minor asks with alba injured uh and he is confirmed to be injured for a few weeks will nelson Semedo take over the role of left back or will valverde allow for junior furpo to develop a connection with the team on the field uh alex Nelson Semedo did not get uh, very rave reviews yesterday, and there seems to be a lot of negativity about him uh, on social media at the moment at the right-back position, but I thought he really struggled when he moved over to the left. Is that what you saw at the game? Well, I think um, from now on, Firpo will, will feature as the, as the natural um, backup for Alba um, because they bought, it, bought him from, for uh, that. Uh, he just wasn't in the squad. If I'm not mistaken against Dortmund, um, because right. obviously they didn't see it coming that that Alba could get injured, but from now on, um, pretty sure Junior Firpo will feature. Regarding Semedo, I think he did quite okay on the on the left side. I don't think he had a poor game. I mean, the penalty was was clumsy. He he gave away against uh, Jaden Sancho, but other than that, I think he did okay. 
I mean, he played out of position, even though it's both uh, a fullback position, but it's still weird to play as a right-footed fullback on the left side. So I think he did okay overall, but we won't see it, see him playing there from now on now. It really should be Junior Firpo's time. Yeah, I think we say it should be, but I, I do wonder to see. I think for me, we argue that it feels to me of what I've seen of, of Jean-Claire Tadebo that it could be Tadebo time as well. But uh, there are certain players that take a little bit longer to get integrated into Barca's first team than we'd expect. Um, so, I, yeah, I think until Farpo's on the field, I, I can't really believe that. And I'm going to say that it could potentially be uh, Sergio Roberto and Semedo at those fullback positions in the meantime. I'm not completely taking that out of out of the equation, right? Because would you rather have Semedo and Roberto being the two fullbacks, or would you rather have uh, a guy that uh, Valverde just doesn't really trust? And to the point about Junior Firpo is he was good against, uh, not against, but for Real Batiste, but if you actually look at his career tra- trajectory as well, he's really only been a full professional in the way that we consider Junior Firpo being this, this great young talent for about the last year and a half. So it, there isn't really a big first-team professional sample size for a guy that also got injured for much of the second half of last season that I, I think stunted his growth last season a little bit as well um, with Real Batiste. But yeah, for me, I think Firpo should be the answer. And Minor, I think your guess is as good as ours as to whether or not Valverde will be putting and inserting him in. But the other thing I would say about the schedule coming up, you know, you don't want to overrate a team or underrate rather a team like Granada, who actually have been pretty good to start this Liga campaign, having been promoted. They seem to have, uh, if you remember Granada when they were sent down, uh, they were just a shambolic team that that was had too many guys on loans and from the top to the bottom management down, they just didn't seem to have a, a footballing vision. But Granada has uh, really rehauled everything. They are using a team largely to help them get promoted. And they did add a few like uh, Dar and Marchis. They've added a few quality players as well that seem to fit in well with the squad. So Granada have played well uh, and should not be taken lightly. But that said, Junior Firpo did play for Real Batiste. He's a first team player and he should be able to play against Granada. Uh, San Diego Todibo, you know, these are, Valverde should be able to trust those rotation players. They're not just complete scrubs. They're not just guys being brought up from Juvenil A or, or Barcelona B or wherever it may be that Valverde wouldn't trust. These are established first-team professionals, so uh, yeah. I, I think it's, it's time to definitely trust them. Well, a, a guy that we have to ask about trusting, uh, Alex, is a question from Michael. Is this the end for Luis Suarez, right? Do we have to continue to trust him as the number nine, or is it more about a lack of fitness, you think, coming up Alex did he look as bad in, I keep asking this but he, did he look as bad in person as the TV told him or is it he just not getting enough service yesterday I think it's a service uh, thing the, the team clearly lacked cohesion and the and the plan a, stru- a structure to go forward and obviously if you're if you're the number nine or the center forward you you need service you need a functional team who serves you balls who serves you yeah who gives you set chances on the on the plate more or less and Barca didn't have that so I think it's more due to that also we should not forget he has been injured I mean he played 30 minutes the the game before uh, at home against Valencia and now he started right away against one of the most complicated opponents away from home so we should not be overly harsh or let's say let's take into consideration the circumstances so yeah I think it's uh, it's more to the fitness, due to the fitness thing, and also due to the team playing poorly as a whole, uh, and that's why Suarez looked ra- uh, rather poor against Dortmund. 
You, you bring up some good points. At first, we start with Dortmund, the fact that uh, they have reinvigorated their squad more than even recent seasons. This is the best Dortmund squad we've seen, I think, arguably since under Klopp or protect, uh, particularly maybe even under, under Tuchel. But I think this is the best Dortmund squad in terms of their squad building that we've seen. Uh, yeah. in quite a few years now and they yeah, should I agree. they shouldn't be taken lightly on the road i agree with that that i said i would be happy with a point and that's what barcelona got so i think mission accomplished and on the in terms of luis suarez you're right where against valencia for 30 minutes i mean he was incredible and to that point i don't think it's so much a mental thing about luis suarez can't get an away goal in the champions league or anything like that i don't think that he's considering that but when they're in that kind of atmosphere tactically I don't think it's a bad idea to bring him off the bench because Antoine Griezmann in that game was, I thought he was other than Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who was the perfect player in that match. But I think for Antoine Griezmann, he actually wound up being the perfect piece needed to to run with Dortmund. And I thought Griezmann was the best player for the first 20 minutes of the match for Barcelona. And there was a minute, I, I spoke about this on the Patreon, but there was a, I think it was in the ninth minute. Uh, Antoine Griezmann and Mark Andre Ter Stegen are the two closest players to one another. As Dortmund had just, you know, basically that was the first time Dortmund had gone forward at all, even uh, in the match. And so, you know, we're nine minutes in, and Griezmann is standing next to Mark Andre Ter Stegen, and I'm going, "How is that? How did that happen? What what is going on on that field where those two are next to each other?" And that's just a credit to Griezmann that his work rate yesterday was incredibly good. And with when Messi is able to get back to fitness, uh, now obviously Dortmund will be at the camp. No. But as far as uh, the an away match to Inter or a more difficult Champions League, hopefully more difficult Champions League ties down the road, on the road, I think you consider actually keeping Suarez on the bench for those. And if, if you're going to be absorbing some pressure like that, uh, or if they're, you're playing an opponent like Dortmund that's going to build up with possession, that's going to have the legs and is still going to press possibly, and it's going to be um, a more fast-paced game in, in a possession style, as, as odd as that sounds, uh, and you're going to play a swarming attack like like Dortmund, maybe you know that you're not going to get the service of Suarez required to bring the best out of him, uh, and then you tactically adjust there. So maybe Suarez winds up uh, just changing his role a little bit. So instead of saying he's washed up or we need to move on from Suarez, I think you look at that transition that ha- had with, with Xavi or with players that are, are certainly losing a step or two, I think there's a role for Luis Suarez that isn't just merely... It could be an uh, an Adarith of, of Athletic Bilbao, who's also much older. He's 39. You know, he's got a few years on Suarez. So it's not that we're going to just put Suarez on the bench and bring him off uh, in case of emergency, but it's rather there. I think it might be time to start picking and choosing your battles once everybody on Barcelona gets back to full fitness, including Dembele and Messi. And, and maybe there are situations for Suarez, if that makes sense. Yeah, we, we should also not forget that... Um... He had a thin squad in attack, like as as we mentioned, Dembélé was injured. So if you have a fit Dembélé maybe on the bench, um, Valverde surely ha- would have thought about subbing um, Suarez off, putting Griezmann in the middle as a number nine and then subbing uh, Dembélé on, on the wing. So you could have some... He mm-hmm. could have changed something up front if he wasn't happy with Suarez or if he Suarez was just not... Uh, 100% fit or, or lacking match rhythm or, or tired or whatever. But he didn't have Dembélé, so that's why Suarez uh, continued to, to, to play the full 90 minutes. So we should not forget about that, right? He had to play because there was no other options. Um, also, we should not forget that he Suarez played against one of the best center forwards in the Bundesliga, maybe even the single best one, Mats Hummels 
who had an absolutely astonishing game. He was yeah. world class. Um, just as as the whole uh, Borussia Dortmund uh, defense has been, so they've been really, really good. Um, as we mentioned before, this was a really, really strong side, a strong defense. So it was all around very, very difficult for Suarez. Even if he would have been 100% fit playing for I don't know a month straight, he would still have struggled against uh, this strong side. So yeah, there are different, as I said, different circumstances coming into play here. Um, from now on, I could totally imagine, like, if Suarez plays, say, um, let's say, a poor first hour or something like that, that maybe Valverde takes him off, puts uh, Griezmann in, in the central forward position, and puts Dembélé on the left and Messi on the right. So I could see this happening from now on, like Suarez fading out slowly but steadily because, yeah, he is. I think Suarez is 33 or maybe 30. 32 years old, so yeah, he's in a obviously in a period where he will slowly but steadily decline, or he already declines, which is just a normal uh, thing in in this age. So yeah, as I said, I think we will see him probably fading out more or less, maybe starting more games on the bench or coming in late or playing only 60, 70 minutes and then making room for maybe Fatih, Dembélé, stuff like that. So yeah. It's interesting to see where where Barca and Valverde are going from from here yeah, this, for the rest of the season. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this could be his final season, but you're right. It's still a long season. And as we mentioned at 32, his knee injuries and, and what is the greatest worrying sign about uh, Umtiti, that for professional athletes like that, when they start to get knee injuries, Suarez's knees never, I can guarantee that he never wakes up and go, my knees feel great. <laughs> I feel like I'm 20, right? It, it, there's always going to be something there there's always going to be a weight there's always just that, those little nagging pains and they just get worse as the years go on when you have knee injuries like well like we've seen Suarez have like Umtiti has dealt with and so for Suarez yeah this might be his final season but I, I, he still has a lot to give um, and you're right I think his fitness might not have been great but as I said um, when you look at that schedule even with the way Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid have looked this season Dortmund away is the hardest scheduled game that Barcelona have to, to look at uh, down the down uh, on the road I mean so I, I think now that a point was garnered from this as I said it's just one that uh, it's hard to overanalyze and yeah I think Luis Suarez could you know there's some negativity for his individual performance but the worrying thing about Suarez for me as this question from uh, Mataha comes what can we do differently moving forward to improve defensively? Now, I know he's talking about the defense, but I want to then start this question, though, Alex, with a point about Luis Suarez and when Messi came on the field. I think one of the issues that we talked about last season, and not just at Anfield, but in general, one of the things that made that defense seem so weary to me starts at the top even, more so than looking at Lenglet and PK and their positioning. Uh, or where the wingbacks are, anything like that. Because when Suarez and Messi are on the field together, Barcelona lose a little bit of that ability to pressure from the front foot, right? Especially when Messi lost the ball on two or three occasions in that game. Yeah, he did beat five or six players. We saw that one run, I think that was somewhere in the last 10 minutes of the, of the match, when Messi just, he looked like he could have taken it all the way himself. But once he Alex, uh, Alex Witzel winds up cutting that, that ball out, then Barca are, are on the back foot, and it's coming the other way because Suarez isn't tracking back. Messi winds up, his momentum takes him forward, and he winds up 
taking too long to track back. Uh, and I liked Messi's effort when he came on the field yesterday. The first ten minutes, I remember he. I don't. I think it was. Uh, I, I want to say it was Hakimi that he cut out. I'm not sure exactly who it was, but he, I remember him coming back about 30, 40 yards and and cutting out a tackle and Barca was absorbing pressure and he was a part of all of that. But yeah, I, I do wonder what Barca can do in terms of not having that press on the front foot. And we see how that exposes, you know, we saw with Rakitic and Busquets, who I don't think you're going to see much at all together this season because that combination in the midfield winds up being a little bit too slow to cut out the counterattacks when you're when two of your front three aren't really giving the required press to put an opponent's back line under pressure. And so line-breaking passes are passable are possible for an opponent of Dortmund's quality. Uh, and that puts Langley and Piquet on an island, uh, or islands that we wind up blaming them for. Uh, and one of the other things I would say improving defensively is that the combination of Piquet and Langley, for as good as they are, I think, uh, in terms of they're both good in the air, uh, and I, I think they're, they're both in a tackle, in a one-on-one tackle, but in terms of pace, the two of them together wind up just losing a little bit, and they don't necessarily dribble into that space as well, which offensively opens things up and then puts them in better position to deal with a counterattack in a way that, you know, Tadebo is way less experienced and is not the guy that I want to start in that that match at all, but it's just a different kind of center back where he just is a little more dribbly, and, you know, he will make a lot of mistakes tactically and positionally, but in terms of just the, the whole team dynamic and defensively making that uh, a little more solidified, I think, again, it starts at the top that I don't know how much Lord, uh, Suarez and Messi, as much as they are the best of friends, make sense anymore against a team like Dortmund. Well, I think one thing is very important for Barca and Valverde is the the chemistry between Messi and Suarez, not only obviously off the pitch, but also on the on the pitch, yeah, it's hard to I trade think, that. You're right. I, I think uh, going forward, they really function well together. They understand each other very well. Um, Messi knows Suarez' movements, and and the other way around. Obviously, Suarez also knows Messi very well and how he moves and how he has to maybe block a defender or drag a defender away by making a run into space, even though he doesn't even receive the ball. So things like that come into play as well. Against the ball, obviously, you have a very, very good point that um, Messi is not very famous for tracking bad, back. I think we can all agree on that, um, even if it might sound a bit uh, as blasphemy, but it is the truth. He's not famous for doing that. Griezmann, on the other hand, is famous for tracking back a lot. We have seen him in Dortmund. He, uh, in, in parts, sometimes he even looked like he would be a, a left wing back or something like that. He defended in his own... In, in his own box against Dortmund so he has clearly like the yeah the mindset of working very hard um, doing everything he can to help the team even if it means that he has to defend so that's good for the team um, to have that such a player such a forward who works that hard and he tracks back um, as I said you can implement Griezmann as a, as a uh, center forward, then you would have a center forward who tracks back like that. But maybe, and we don't know that, the instructions of Valverde are that Suarez, when he plays center forward, should not track back because maybe Valverde wants a focal point up front. You know, somebody who can then receive the ball and hold the hold onto the ball. So we don't know the instructions there. 
Um, if we say we criticize Suarez for not tracking back, maybe it was a fitness issue also. We should never forget that we mentioned it before. He played only 30 minutes the game before and now he immediately started. So maybe it's a fitness issue as well. Maybe it's a issue of um, being exhausted after 50, 60, 70 watt minutes. Um, that plays a part. So, again, different circumstances to give a proper answer to that. Um, yeah, and yeah, it influences the, the whole team, how they play against the ball. Um, with Messi and Suarez, you might not have the most backtracking defensive-minded players up front. So, yeah, that plays a part. And then, yeah, you mentioned uh, Lingley and Piquet being on an island. They're, if we talk about them, we have to talk about Busquets who's also declining I think it's fair to say that his legs are more and more gone so he is the protector of the defense but he cannot always protect the defense the way he used to be also due to his age also due to uh, just natural decline obviously I mean he was taken off in Dortmund for surely for reasons right because it doesn't have um, happen really often that um, Valverde or any Barca coach takes Sergio Busquets off, but he did. So this has to do with, with certain reasons. He installed um, Frankie de Jong at the pivotal position, at the number six position, to shield the defense. And I think de Jong looked pretty decent there. He did a decent job, good job there. So we might see de Jong more at Busquets' positions from now on in this season. Maybe this gives more stability to the defense because it's a younger player with fresh legs who can track back a lot, who can run um, run definitely more and harder than, than Busquets can, who has more speed, who has more pace. So maybe this gives the team also some stability from the middle, you know? So yeah, different approaches, different reasons. Definitely an interesting topic. Yeah, and I would, I would also bring and add that when Busquets comes off, he it's Rakitic who comes on in his place. And I think Rakitic is best suited. I, I think he is still the best suited midfielder to absorb pressure and deal with pressure in the way that um, Barcelona had really, uh, and they admitted this in the, in a lot of the post-game comments, uh, particularly from Valverde, that they had lost a hold of the match a little bit. Uh, from a question from Eric that he mentions about, is it worrying that Barca seem to consistently struggle to maintain composure on the ball against these really good attacking threats? And Eric, I think we have kind of answered that question that the first 65 or so minutes doesn't worry me because they're on the road at Dortmund. And I thought that the combination of De Jong, Arthur, and Busquets, they had their moments. And then the midfield of, of Dortmund had their moments, right? And they're both two of the best teams in the world. And so I wouldn't be so, so worried about all of that because uh, Barca are also still a work in progress integrating in De Jong and Griezmann and some of the important pieces to this team. So they're still working those players in uh, and the yeah. chemistry between those guys is going to get a little better where uh, Witzel and Thomas Delaney and particularly Marco Royce, now they've been working together for two seasons now, that combination. Uh, so uh, Dortmund is a little more solidified in their lineup. And as I, as I, when I previewed Dortmund, that you have Satan, uh, Jaden Sancho, who does his job, right? You have Alex Witzel, who knows exactly what his job is. Marco Royce, who has his position in his job, right? There's a stability to Dortmund that certainly at home made them even more difficult to play against. So for, so as I said, for Eric, I, I think, you know, Barca's form has been worrying on the road so far this season, but I think that's just more of a lack of fluidity and continuity. And I'm going to try to see the, the glass half full on that one. 
you know, so and then uh, Zach and Charlie also bring the fact that there seemed to be a lack of width. This is from Charlie when Fati went off, and we already talked about that really with, you know, the Suarez-Messi combination. That's a little bit of what happens because of where Messi plays. And then there is a lack of pace, as Zach brings up as well, with the tactics that uh, Valverde, he says it's a tactics that already employs, or what can, well, he actually asked, what can Valverde do differently to employ the, or to change the pace on the team? And I, my my answer to that, and Alex, maybe you have a better answer to this, but I'm not really sure what Valverde can do because it's all, I think that's more about personnel than tactics. I think Barcelona just, it's a team that doesn't have a lot of pace, right? You look up and down the bench and who could who could Valverde put on that's that's going to be the speed wizard? And he's, well, you know, that's why he's using a 16-year-old to start a match against Dortmund because there really is not truly a lot of pace. Um, and that's not the way that this squad still, for all the Griezmann and, and De Jong and and I mean, Junior Firpo has a little pace at left back, but you know, so does so does Alba. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I just I don't know where that pace is going to come from because that's more about personnel, I think, than tactics. Well, I I have to to disagree slightly there because I do think there are serious um, structural flaws in in Barcelona's games, and this is obviously um, Valverde's job to give a proper game plan to the team, whether you have players or you don't have players who have speed or not or pace or not you still have to implement a proper structural plan a proper game plan the right structure for your players to flourish in and in Dortmund we definitely did not see that so we actually we, we put a piece up on on Barcelona.de um, the website I'm the editor-in-chief on where we talk exactly about this so yes they lacked the the pace of Dembele because Fatih is not an experienced player, but also the team definitely lacked um, the right structure. The, they lacked cohesion. They lacked, as I said, the game plan. And I think this is all the job of the coach. So there is something to talk about here, um, whether you have the some players at your disposal or you don't have. Still, the coach isn't, should be in charge to provide a get a better game plan for his team, even if it's one of the most difficult uh, away games you can you can have in the in the group stage. But still, Barca just have to do better as a team, and I think Valverde has to do better as a coach. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX command simulated. Yeah, and one of the players that he has at his disposal but does not use, Ray asks, can someone tell me what Carlos did beside have a bad match? And, uh, you know, I guess I'll go first on this one, Alex. That for Alenia, I don't think it was just the bat that he had a poor match. It was, you know, I think the more alarming thing for me is with the number of midfield options with them, yeah. with Barcelona unable to move on Rakitic, uh, I think, unfortunately, other than Mark Kukurea, who's doing pretty well at Hadafe after having a successful loan campaign, at uh, Ibar last year, um, it, it I don't know. What I don't want to say that there's a little bit of jealousy when it comes to. I'm not jealous of what's in Real Madrid's current first team because they seem to be better at sending guys guys out on loan than they do about reevaluating their own talent. Uh, so the, you know, the, there's the knock on on Real Madrid, but the compliment to them is um, like Martin Odegaard, who they've had in the system for a while now. Um, his loans have 
largely, particularly after being in, in the Netherlands for a few seasons, he's turned into a quality player, and he's been one of the better players in all the Liga for Real Sociedad yeah. at the moment. Yeah. You look at uh, Akraf Akimi, he will remind you he's still on loan from Real Madrid. So uh, Carlos Alenia probably should have been out on loan to a, a top, top side. You know, he's good enough yeah. to, to, to kind of break in, but he just there's just too much midfield depth. Uh, and I think maybe, I mean, there were reports that a loan didn't work out and then he's going to fight for his spot. But until January, if maybe a Vidal, who we really haven't seen from, or, you know, then Roberto uh, is a midfield option, remind you of that as well. And maybe if Rakitic leaves in January, but I mean, if he if he winds up being an important piece for Valverde, you know, I, again, it's got to be Alenia, the odd man out, which is fine. Yeah. Again, he's still only, again, reminder, he was called up to the Spain U21s, right? Alenia is not a super old, experienced guy. It's not like we're giving up on his career. It's it's just it's it is unfortunate to me that Barca's loans fail so much that you trust a guy to be training with the team and then not making appearances more than you do because there's a fear that a loan is going to derail a Barcelona player's career. Uh, and then I think that's that's really the terrifying thing to me about Alenia that it seems to be it's not even about them using the Cantera. It's 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 just more worrying to me that. Um, that, that, you know, they cannot utilize this really important structured system to give a guy like Elena, uh game time. Yeah, I agree with, with that. It's, it's really hard for him this season. And uh, he didn't uh, even make the squad, I think, only in the, the first match day, right? And yep, yep, he's been frozen from then, sense, yeah. then, Yeah, from then on, he doesn't uh, feature even in the, in the squad anymore. So it is difficult. You, you also mentioned Rakitic and Vidal. They barely have had minutes yep. uh, this season. So, yeah, he should. I, I agree with you that he should have been sent on loan. It probably would have been the best for his development, for his career, to get uh, regular game time at a decent level. We look at, you mentioned Hakimi, super good example. He, he plays at the great club. He plays international football. He plays in the Champions League. He gets a lot of game time to to develop, to grow as a player. Um, another example is uh, Sergio Regulion, who, who now is loaned out from Real Madrid to Sevilla. To Sevilla. He's been good. He's yeah. also, yeah, he's really good. Really good. He's playing for them, so he's a starter right away at Sevilla. He plays at the coach that knows him, Julen Lopetegui, right? He uses him, who 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 plays him in every game, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Barca probably should have really looked into this thing and um, yeah, maybe maybe even said to Alenia, it might be the best for your career of to go on alone somewhere at a decent club. But they didn't. Yeah. Well, and now it's really hard for him to to get minutes. So yeah. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean we haven't spoken about Puj in a few weeks too, and it's the same thing where you know he's been. As you say, Barca B, their form have not been tremendous this season. They haven't really looked great, but uh, Ricky Puj, of what we've seen, has looked a little bit like a savior at times for them. I think he's been their best player again for the second straight year. Uh, and no. no surprises just because of the talent that he has. Um, I have to, I have to say, I absolutely love Puj in the in the preseason. He yeah. looked really ready to to be a part of the roster of the senior squad of the first team. So I'm really bummed that that he won't get any chances because, as I mentioned, or as we mentioned, look at the, at the squad in the midfield, right? There are like, I think, eight players fighting for three positions. Yeah. So I can't imagine Puj getting any minutes, which is a real, real shame. So, yeah. Yep. Uh, so we'll finish this up. Uh, last question from Armin. 
In the last podcast, you and Frances talked about how Barca is always expected to win. Uh, what if we're not the best team in the world anymore? Because objectively, we might not be. Is it okay to be content with a draw at a ferocious away ground? I don't think it's a shame to not be the very best team in the world. I don't think Barca should call itself that because look at Liverpool, look at Man City, right? They are right now, in my opinion, the, the best teams Um the two best teams and then Barca is like a little bit beneath them um, because yeah let's look <laughs> let's look at the Enfield drama right what happened to Barca there yeah I think Liverpool is a is a step ahead of Barca right now I don't think it's a shame to admit that um, I mean, sometimes teams are better than you I mean what can we do right I mean should have gone for the, for a different coach probably in the summer. Yeah. That would be a way to approach the the dilemma, but they didn't. So now, yeah, I mean they are in the league. They are expected to win every game, obviously. Right. Um, especially if you have Messi, you're always the super high favorites to win the league. But in the Champions League, I think if you if you face in the later stages, if you face Liverpool again, or Man City, or maybe even Juventus. Um, it's really tough for Barca, so I don't think they will be considered the favorite in these in these matchups. So, yeah, I would say I would say yes, but in the same regard, uh, I think it's a two part. I think those are two different ideas, even that uh, going away to Dortmund, who, as I've said this season, it reinvigorated their squad, and I think it could be a two horse race with Bayern Munich this season for yeah. that. Bundesliga yeah. title and I mean RB Leipzig is at the moment but uh, you know I just looking at the rosters you know I, I believe it'll come down to Dortmund v Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga uh, and then you even look at the way that Real Madrid got ripped apart by PSG yesterday and Atletico Madrid and Juventus that was an interesting match as well without Diego Godin after all these years Atletico Madrid seems to have lost a little bit something defensively um, yeah you know but that said the thing about the Champions League again I want to remind you that um, Kylian Mbappe from uh, Monaco a few seasons wind up breaking onto the scene, right? And you look at that Monaco 11 that now they're, they're all playing for whether it's Man City or, you know, uh, or AC Milan, Chelsea, you know, that team has been picked apart one by one, sure. Um, but in the same regard, right, Barca winds up, they were up against Liverpool. You know, it, it's it's the smallest of margins that if, if that corner kick doesn't happen, then Barcelona wind up moving on and then we consider them right and then if they beat uh Tottenham in the final Barca are the best team in the world right but to judge yeah. the, to, to 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 use this the terminology that they are one of the they are the best team in the world or whatever team wins the Champions League is the best team in the world uh is kind of a farce right because yeah. over the course of a season that best team might be a little different right and so the the one pushback I would give here is that to me there are tiers in football right and that I think Barca are one of the best teams in the world. And it's not that they yeah. are, whether or not the narrative is that they're a favorite in every match, I, I think is incorrect. You know, they not only do they have Lionel Messi still in their squad, but whether it's Barca, Liverpool, Dortmund, Munich, Juventus, City, Liverpool, uh, I'm going to leave somebody out here, I guess PSG, if you will. Um, you know, I think there's a top tier, but yet Tottenham can make a Champions League final. And, ha- yep. and but our perception of them hasn't really changed, right? We still yep. consider them just a top six in, in, in the UK, in the Premier League. And particularly, I mean, hopefully they have a good Champions League campaign. For, I mean, for their fans, I mean. And same thing, Ajax last year <laughs> makes the makes the Final Four, right? And then we do we consider them a favorite now? No, not really, because they obviously got gutted as a team. 
Um, so yeah, I would say that Barcelona are still considered, I consider them, and I think a lot of people consider them one of the best teams in the world. And when you're going up against one of the other best teams in the world, whether in that top tier, in a way, point is just fine, right? That's my point, is that if we were in a group at Liverpool and we got a point on the road at Anfield, that's what you need to do against the other best teams. And then when it comes time to the Champions League, it takes a little bit of luck and you just got to beat these other top tier teams. And in the league, you're right. They dominate La Liga, one of the top top leagues in the world. Barca are expected to be the favorites more than Real Madrid, more than Atletico. They're expected to win the Liga every single year. That's one of the best teams in the world to me. I mean... I agree that on on in the latter stages of the Champions League there are no favorites. Everybody is more or less on the on the same level, and in the poor a poor match or a poor day or even a poor mistake, goalkeeper mistake or a, a clumsy penalty can lead to you uh, going out being elimi- eliminated or like not being attentive at the corner. Right, who was essentially the the last uh, goal I think against Liverpool. Yep. Even small. Details like this matter and and can lead to you being eliminated. So yeah, on on this level, in in these latter stages, usually the clubs, the teams are on eye level, on the same level, and very very small details matter and make the difference. Still, looking just at Barca's squad, at their roster, they should they are definitely a top three side in the world. But unfortunately, not only the roster matters, the coach matters as well. And I do think there are better coaches out there looking at Man City, looking at Liverpool, for example. Um, who I think make you're right a, about that. An, I agree with that. Yeah, who, who make a great job, who are doing a really awesome job. Maybe who have a little bit of an inferior roster, looking at um, Liverpool, for example. But yeah, not. I mean, these things matter as well. Klopp is, for me... Maybe even right now with with Guardiola, the by far the best coach in the world, or these two are by far the best coaches in the world, and they make a difference as well, um, especially in yeah two legged uh, ties, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point that the the manager has the ability just to to be that difference, uh, and I think you're right. I think yeah. Klopp and Guardiola are in that tier above Valverde. Yeah, yeah, in world football, I agree with that. No, no shame in uh, admitting that, right? I mean, <laughs> I think people actually it's, enjoy it's when what... we admit that. <laughs> when we admit yeah. that, I, fi- I finish that, it off man. with it is what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> Regarding the coach, what, yep. <laughs> I mean, what can what can we do? The, yep. the club should have probably, in my opinion, taken a different decision in the summer, but they didn't. So, yeah. but the one thing I'll add yeah. to that is that Klopp and Guardiola weren't coming to Barcelona. So, who other than Valverde? Was you know it, there is no there was no top tier one you know yeah. Guardi, uh, Guardiola Klopp comparison to be brought in right like whatever coach Barcelona would have brought in was going to be a step behind or a tier two level manager uh, behind yeah, the best probably, in the world. Yeah. I, that's I mean so that's the thing it's yes Valverde is not Guardiola or, or Klopp but I mean if that's the insult there then that's the insult there that's what it is yeah but yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway Alex I, I really enjoyed. Uh, the show really enjoyed you coming on today, uh, and so I I don't know what our how much of our audience uh, also speaks German, but I I know you do have a few surprises for them. I'd like to yeah. give you a second to talk about that. And also, never forget Google Translate actually does a pretty decent job That's translating true. German German into English. So everybody who wants maybe to even read the analysis lists I I mentioned on the on the Dortmund against Barca um, match can find it on on Barcaveld.de. 
Um, I'm pretty sure in the show notes you you provide your yep, listeners a link, so maybe if they didn't quite catch the name of it, they can just click on it on the show notes. And yeah, they can also read me on Twitter if they like uh, Alex Troika at Alex Troika. So yeah, get in touch, people, if you if you want, if you enjoy my stuff. Well, thank you, Alex, for coming on. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in again. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes. To subscribe to the show, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at Hilton D13 for me. On Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group where we got these questions from, and we get questions from every week is tvpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and discussions there as well. So it's not just the questions that uh, we talk about on the show. There's actually a lot of conversations going on uh separate from what goes on here on the podcast which is a lot of good uh, deep conversation you got to answer the three questions though there are or four questions now there are questions if you answer you get in the group if not we decline you and you can also help us out on patreon that's where i do the quick take match reviews that's tbpod.link backslash patreon it also helps us continue to run the show uh, as i say every single week we're also on youtube as i plugged in the show uh at the barcelona podcast where today with uh this week was all about Ansu Fadi and all about some of the wingers that compared to him in world football. So check that out on the YouTube channel and hit that subscription button. So thanks so much for tuning into the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Ciao. Welcome to Four Scores, a new podcast series hosted by Variety's John Burlingame. Four Scores will take listeners on a magical journey into the world of film and television composers. Listen wherever you hear your favorite podcasts. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now.